All right, Acts chapter 28. And this morning we're finishing it. After 10 months of studying Acts, we come to the end. Acts chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 17 to 31. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported on or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. Then they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll be totally honest with you. When I first began studying this passage in order to prepare for this sermon, I frankly was a little disappointed with the ending of Acts. I felt like it was anticlimactic. I I don't know what I was expecting. You know, I had all these questions like, so what happens to Paul? And... Does he get to stand before Caesar? And, you know, did Caesar throw him to the lions? And, and what happened when he stood before Caesar? And what did he say? And, you know, what, what, what was the response to all that? So I, was, I guess I was looking for a little more of that. And instead you have Paul. He, he's arrested, as we've been seeing in the last few chapters of Acts. He comes to Rome. He's now in Rome. He, he welcomes his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters into his home. He speaks to them. And then... And they don't really listen, and then he speaks for two more years, and then that's it. You know, if if I was writing a novel, a modern novel, or if we were filming a summer blockbuster series, you know, it it wouldn't end like this. There would be some final confrontation or speech or drama, but it just seems that the book ends. And we wonder, well, what what happens next? Um, Scholars have puzzled about this. Some scholars have uh, hypothesized that maybe Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote two books, Luke and Acts. They were maybe thinking maybe he planned to write a third book, like he was getting near the end of the papyrus roll, and he was like, you know, and so Paul preached for two years, and ah, you know, he's going to do a third one. But there's no evidence of that. We have no word anywhere in church history or in any of the writings that Luke planned to write a third volume. 
Others have suggested maybe Paul was killed and Luke just didn't want to end that way. And he didn't want to end with the martyrdom of Paul. But that seems unlikely too because from church history, we, uh, the best information is that Paul made it to this trial and then left after the trial and then actually was martyred along with Peter several years later under Nero's uh, famous persecutions. And, and besides, Luke has no problem writing about martyrdoms. He wrote about the martyrdom of Stephen and he was, you know, sort of highlighted that. So, so it's, it's just curious. Why, why does it end this way? This strange ending of the book of Acts. And I think my own theory, and not just not my own, but, but the one that seems most likely to me based on my own studies and readings, is that I think it's ending purposely this way because Luke is ending the book of Acts by tying it into the way he began the book of Acts. That, that there's a kind of book ending to this, that, that he ends in a way that reminds us of the beginning. And this is actually a common literary technique in biblical writings. We don't use it perhaps as much today in our own literature, but it, but it was common back then. Uh, if you want to use the, the scholarly term for it, it's called an, incl- an inclusio, uh, or just think of bookends. You start with something and you end with something very similar. And so I think what's happening here in this passage is that is that. Luke is showing us that what he said would happen, what Jesus said would happen at the beginning of Acts, has actually come to pass. And so that God has fulfilled his word. In other words, the book of Acts is not primarily a biography of Paul. It's really a biography of the gospel and how the gospel has spread and moved and done its work. Do this. Put a bookmark here in Acts 28. We're going to come back. Look at Acts chapter 1. I'm sure you remember Acts chapter 1 vividly and can still recall the sermon I preached on it 10 months ago. I'm sure you talk about it often. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Actually, I start at verse 6. So here's the very beginning of Acts. This is when Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven after his resurrection and, and the the apostles wonder, now that Jesus is raised from the dead, is this when the end is going to come and, and God is going to bring to pass all the promises of the Old Testament for the people of God? And so they ask him in verse 6, when they met together, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now here's the key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 8 is the key verse. In some ways, uh, many have argued this, and I agree, verse 8 is the programmatic verse for the whole book of Acts. It's kind of a table of contents. It's sort of a, 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 you know, a purpose statement for the whole book. It, in many ways, it's, it's a bit of a, a table of contents for the book because the book follows this order from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so verse 8 tells us what the whole book is about. It tells us that there's going to be people receiving power from the Holy Spirit to go talk, that the message they're going to have is about Jesus' death and resurrection and, and how if we put our faith in him and repent of our sins, we can be saved. And that that message is going to start in Jerusalem, but it's not going to stay there. It's going to go to Judea, which is the province around 
Jerusalem, and Samaria to the people who were, have an ancestry that's sort of mixed Gentile and Jewish, and then to the ends of the earth, which is a, a very biblical way of saying all the Gentile nations. So uh, we, we have this theme. This is what the book is about right there in verse 8. Or to put it another way, there's a method. The method is people filled with the Holy Spirit talking about Jesus. There's a message which is the message of Jesus' death and resurrection and salvation through faith in him. And then there's kind of a, a map, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. In fact, interestingly enough, if you go back to the first volume of Luke's writings, Luke, which is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, he ends that book with something very similar here. So do this. Look back at Luke chapter 24. Keep your bookmark in chapter 28. Now go back to Luke 24, which is on page 1048 in the Pew Bible. So now we're going back to Luke's first book. And he ended it with the same theme. So look at Luke 24. I'm going to read verses 44 to 49. And I want you, as I read it, I want you to see if you can hear the method, which is preaching the gospel, the message, and if you can find the roadmap that's here. It's the same thing. Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of, his, of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Did you hear those same themes? Same message. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. That's what we proclaim. And the way you respond to that is through repenting and believing in Jesus, and that's how your sins are forgiven. Our sins aren't forgiven by trying to be a better person or you know, losing a few pounds or trying to be more spiritual or doing some rituals in a church. The only way our sins can be forgiven and we can be right with God is by turning to Jesus and repenting and believing in him. So it's the same message. And, and you see the map starting in Jerusalem. It's going to be preached starting there to all nations. Wait in the city till you get power and then we're going to start moving out. So now going back to Acts 28. I think what Acts 28 is there to show us is that what was promised has reached an initial stage of fulfillment. That, that God has indeed raised up witnesses. They have indeed spoken the message. And now the map has taken them to Rome, which in many ways you can think of as at that time was like the capital of the ends of the earth. It's the capital of the Gentiles' world. Right. So now, with that in mind, let's look at chapter 28 again. Let's go back and look at verse 17 and, and see this now not so much as what happened to poor Paul, but more like look what God did in accomplishing his word. So again, verse 17, three days later, and what does that mean, three days later? Well, it's three days after Paul got to Rome. He called together the leaders of the Jews. So normally when Paul arrived in a city, the first thing he'd do is he'd hit the synagogues because uh, the, the gospel was to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. 
because the gospel had arisen from Judaism and from the history of Israel. So Paul would normally go to the synagogues, but in this case he can't do that because he's under house arrest. So he says, hey, why don't you guys come? And so all these leaders come. Archaeologists tell us there were a number of synagogues in Rome at that time. And so probably you have different leaders from all the different synagogues coming. And, and you know, he's like, hey, you know, I know I'm in prison. They didn't do anything wrong. You know, I'm innocent. They didn't find any charges against me. And, and, and he says, but I'm here to tell you, verse 20, about the hope of Israel. That's why I'm bound with chains. I want to tell you that what we as the people of Israel, as the Jews have been waiting for and waiting for, is finally arrived that the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God has finally come. And then the, the, the Jewish leaders say, you know, hey, we haven't heard anything good or bad about you, dude. So, you know, we're not worried about that. But we do want to hear about this, this new sect. See that in verse 22? Tell us about this because people everywhere are talking against this sect. Well, it looks like nothing's changed on that one, huh? So verse 23 they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came together in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And from morning until evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Wow, that's a long sermon, huh? Morning to evening. A full day Bible study where Paul's just like, we're, he's like, guys, roll up your sleeves. You know, we're going to dig in. And I'm going to show you from our scriptures, from what we would call the Old Testament, but the Hebrew scriptures. And, and uh, he said, I'm going to show you that the kingdom of God that we've been waiting for is here. That, that the King Jesus is here. That all of the things we've waited for, forgiveness of our sins and the Holy Spirit and, and the kingdom of God has begun and that you can get into this kingdom through Jesus. And so he begins arguing and, and showing and leading them through scriptures and and you kind of wonder, wonder what he taught them. Well, you don't really have to wonder. Just read the book of Acts. It's full of examples of what they taught, where they would go back to the Hebrew Scriptures and show that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he just starts preaching from morning till night, trying to convince them. Now, if you've been here the last 10 months, if you've made it through this sermon series with us um, I don't know, did anyone have perfect attendance? I, mean, I got, got a gold star here. I can you know, come up afterwards, give you a gold star. But anyway, if you've been here the last 10 months and you've been following the book of Acts with us, um, studying this book, what's being said here, what Paul did in Rome, should sound very, very familiar. Uh, if you've been here five months studying Acts, if you've been here one month, if you're new here today but you're familiar with the book of Acts, what Paul is doing here should seem like deja vu all over again repeated. Like This is what he always does. He shows up, he gets people together, whether in the synagogue or, or in the marketplace, and he tells them about Jesus. And he just does it again and again and again. And you keep waiting for him to, to change his tactic. Same thing. He shows up. He finds a place where he can be heard, whether in the synagogue or the marketplace or somewhere, and he starts telling people about Jesus. And that's what it is. That's the gospel ministry. It's what Jesus said would happen is now happening. People talking about Jesus to other people. See, one of my purposes when, when I, I started preaching through Acts, one of the things that I hope would happen in our church 
is that a little light bulb would go off for all of us. Or maybe if the light bulb was already on, the, like, the light bulb would like, you know, like get brighter. And, you know, it, the, the, the wattage would increase for myself too. And, and, and what I was hoping was the light bulb would go off that we would see that the work of God's kingdom and the spread of the gospel is not some mysterious, arcane, super complex thing that only people who've gone to seminary and got a PhD can figure out. I, I wanted us all to see that, I, I, I guess I want to say, I, I, want to, I wanted to demythologize missionary work. I wanted to demythologize gospel work. And I wanted us to see that it's not some arcane science. It's just people talking to people about Jesus. That's how the kingdom of God grows. They didn't have smoke machines. They, they didn't have, you know, uh, Apple watches. They, they didn't have the interwebs. I mean, they didn't have any of that stuff. And, and somehow, the gospel has made it to Rome. How did that happen? And it was just people filled with the Holy Spirit speaking this simple message to people. And as other people heard and believed... Then they would gather them together, they would start a church, and then they would go on to the next town, rinse and repeat. That's it. It's people talking to people about Jesus, and as people believe, planting churches and moving on, that's how the gospel has spread, that's how it's continued to spread. I mean, that's it. That's the plan. There's not another plan. That's how God has been doing this. And and I, I don't know, I've just found that so encouraging to think that, that there isn't some secret to kingdom growth besides the power of God working through regular people who are willing to open their mouths, open their Bibles, open their lives, and share with someone else. I mean, how did you become a Christian? For those of you who are Christians here, you know? Like, what, you know, what, what fog machine was it? What laser light? Sh- you know? what, didn't you become a Christian because someone opened their mouth? Maybe they opened their mouth to you. It was in a, a pulpit you were hearing a sermon. Maybe, maybe it was your mom and dad at your bedside when you were five, or maybe it was at vacation Bible school. A lot of people have come to faith in these vacation Bible schools. Maybe it was a friend in college who invited you to a dorm Bible study. But like, if you think back to how you came to faith, it's really the same thing as we see here, is people opening their hearts, opening their Bibles, opening their lives. That's all gospel ministry is. And it's so accessible to all of us. And so that was one of my hopes, is that, that, that we would have the light bulb go off and that we would grow in this as a church, that we would become more intentional about making disciples, that I would too, that I'd become more excited and confident in this as well. I think sometimes we think that because we live in the modern era, that things work differently when it comes to spiritual matters. I mean, for crying out loud, we have smartphones, you can get an app on your smartphone and you, and you can order Chipotle. Then you can open up the next app and order an Uber car to pick you up and take you to Chipotle. And then, you know, beep with your phone and then get your order and then have the Uber take you back. I mean, this is a crazy world in which we live today. And I think sometimes we think that, that because we live in this kind of world and we read the Bible and there's such a historical distance of 2,000 years that, that clearly what's going on there doesn't happen today. And yet, some things, in some ways, nothing's changed at all. God is the same. 
He's still the sovereign Lord. He's still holy. He's still full of grace. He still hears our prayers. He still works in the world. People are exactly the same spiritually as they were 2,000 years ago. Spiritually speaking, you, if you were to meet someone, if you are going to time machine back 2,000 years and meet someone in Rome, spiritually speaking, they'd be the exact same as you. Right? We're still sinners in need of a Savior. We're still people who need the Lord. You know, what were people caught up in back then? Money, sex, power, entertainment, food and drink, parties. I mean, right? It's exactly the same stuff. It's just, you know, a different context. They had togas or whatever, but it was the same. Spiritually, they were sinners in need of a Savior, just like I am. And the gospel hasn't changed. The message is still the same. Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. He's now the Lord, and anyone who repents and believes in Him will be saved from their sins and be brought into a new relationship with God. It's all the same. And so, I I was hoping that we'd see that that through the repeated pattern of this in Acts, through, through the sort of regular drumbeat of people opening their mouths and opening their Bibles and opening their lives and speaking the name of Jesus, that you would see that's how the Roman Empire was infiltrated with this viral gospel long before there was an internet where things could go viral. But that it spread through, through people like you and, and me and just opening our mouths, hearts, and lives in the Bible to speak the gospel to others. And so I, I just want to encourage you in that, and I hope you've been encouraged in that. You know, I know some of you are going to be here this week at Vacation Bible School. Some of you are going to be teachers and leaders here this week at Vacation Bible School. You're thinking about a week with these kids. You're already feeling tired. I can tell. I am too. I'm going to have a little group of, group of guys I'm going to be leading around. And uh, I just encourage you this week. Don't just be a babysitter, right? Ask kids questions. Do you understand this? What do you understand about Jesus? Do you know what that means? Engage kids with the gospel. And you think, oh, they're just kids. God can work at any age. Age is not a hindrance to the gospel. Hey, maybe there's a kid. Any kids here going to vacation Bible school this week? You guys excited about that? Yeah. Like, you can talk to your friends at vacation Bible school. Hey, do you know Jesus? No. Who's that? You know? Well, tell them. Like, you, you can do that. I, I remember, uh, you know, one of my little story from uh, my daughter's childhood. He's about to go off to college. I can't believe it. When did that happen? But I remember when she was like in uh, like second, third grade-ish, she was on, riding on the bus, and she's sitting there next to a kid on the bus, and she says, you know, do you know who Jesus is? No. And so she explains to him on the bus, you know, who Jesus is and what he did. That's what I love about the gospel. A two-year-old, a, a, two, a, a second grader, can get it. A second grader can explain it. It's so simple, anybody can share the gospel, and yet it's so deep and profound that you can spend your whole life plumbing the depths of it and never get to the bottom of it. So whether you're at work or whether you're in your neighborhood or whether you're at the coffee shop with the other retired folks that you hang out with every Thursday and get coffee and people have a little community there, we can invite people to read the Bible with us one-on-one. We can, we can start a Bible study. We can, we can welcome people and God will work through that and as the word of God is open and as the gospel is shared that's how the kingdom grows that's how it's always grown it's the same thing over and over and the response is the same look at the response going back to our text 
Not only is gospel ministry the same, the response is the same. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So brace yourself for that. That will happen every time. Some will believe, some will not. In this case, you you get a little uh, pointed judgment from Paul in verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They can hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, what's going on in those verses? Paul seems to kind of escalate there a little bit, come off pretty hard on them. Is he saying that from that point on, Jewish people can't be saved? Is that what he's saying to his fellow Jewish people? No, not at all. Um, And and people are still being saved today, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, all kinds of people can be saved through faith in Jesus. I think what's happening in this passage is is that he's he's issuing a kind of warning against his Jewish brothers and sisters there in Rome. And he's warning them. He's like, look, I've been teaching you from our Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. But if you won't believe that, then let me lay another Hebrew Scripture on you. That you're acting like Israel back in the time of Isaiah. You're closing your ears and eyes, and you have a danger that God is going to give you over to that hardness of heart. And so this is a warning and a danger, and it also explains why he's now going to move his ministry to the Gentiles. Not that he was done with the Jews, but it explains why he's opening up the mission field to the Gentiles, which is what he did in every city, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, because the gospel is for all people. And you know, I think it's a warning for us, regardless of what your ethnic background is. It's a warning that, that we need to, to hear the gospel and not, not just turn a deaf ear to it, not just shut a blind eye toward it. Um, you know, Paul spoke to them from morning till evening. We've been studying Acts for 10 months. Maybe you've been here for a lot of that. And I just want to warn you not to sit on the fence. You know, sitting on the, there is actually no, fence in the gospel it's either in or out and if you sit on the fence you're actually out so there's no kind of neutral position i would just encourage you perhaps god's been working in your heart you felt it but you know i know when i was first coming to faith in jesus i was it felt like god was like you know just kind of doing this on my heart every time i'd hear the gospel and i'd be like ah i don't i don't want to lose control of my life you know okay i think it's true but i don't want to give in I just warn you and, and encourage you to, to not hold out if the Lord is working in your heart. Um, be careful. There could be a point of no return in unbelief. There may be a point where God gives us over to our hardened hearts and says, enough. And so just encourage you to soften your heart. If God is tapping on your heart, why would you turn, turn away from God? Oh, I know why, because you're like me. You don't want to lose control of your life. You don't want to say, God, I've been wrong and you're right. But oh, it's so wonderful when you finally bow the knee and surrender to Christ. It's the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me. So many of you here could stand up and say, I fought it and fought it, and then God won, and it's been the best thing ever. It's the best way to lose ever, is to lose to God. 
So I just encourage you, hear the warning from Paul. Don't harden your hearts. And then Paul went on, just to finish that chapter, verses 30 to 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the story ends with Paul, with kind of open-door policy, people coming in to see him, him preaching the gospel, going on and on for two years. We say, well, but then what happened? (laughs) What happened to Paul? And the answer is it doesn't really matter because Acts is not the biography of Paul, right? There's been a lot of gospel witnesses in Acts. Peter was big, Stephen, Philip did his piece, Barnabas is in there, Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos. There's all kinds of people sharing the gospel in Acts. You know, Paul is, is sort of the, has the lion's share of the, of the text, but he's not the only one by any measure. Because this is not about Paul. It's about the gospel. The point is that the gospel has come to Rome. That what Jesus said would happen has happened. That the messengers would proclaim the message and that the map would lead them to Rome And now, despite all kinds of opposition, the gospel is there being proclaimed for two years freely. Isn't that ironic in verse 31 where it says, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God? Paul's under house arrest with a guard, chained to a guard (laughs) 24-7. I mean, to me, if you said, what does hindrance look like? I would say, house arrest with a guard and a chain. But Paul preached without hindrance. Because the gospel is not hindered. It's never hindered. It's going to the ends of the earth. Think about in the book of Acts, everything that got thrown at Paul and everything that got thrown at the apostles and everything that got thrown at the church. I mean, so much was was done against the church. If If any movement should have been snuffed out, it should have been Christianity. There were systematic arrests and imprisonments of Christians throughout the book of Acts. There have been beatings, stonings, corrupt officials who've been looking for bribes, extended imprisonments. There have been conflicts within the church. There there were theological conflicts about do the Gentiles have to be circumcised or not. There were ethnic conflicts between Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews and then between Jewish people and Gentile people. So so there were problems inside the church. There were financial difficulties. There were hostile hearers. There were riots. There were martyrdoms. And despite everything that came against the gospel and against those early Christians in the church, here's Paul sitting in Rome without hindrance because nothing can hinder the gospel. And the same is true today. Nothing can hinder the gospel. (laughs) You know? ISIS cannot hinder the gospel. It's doing terrible things, and someday they will answer to God for every single thing that's been done. But God, even now, is using those terrible events in ways that we have not yet, yet to see to advance the salvation of his people because nothing hinders the gospel. No totalitarian government can hinder the gospel. It doesn't really matter who's president or who has control of Congress or what laws they pass. It can't stop the gospel. 
You know there's no law or, or ruling that can be passed by any government that can keep people from being born again. Did you know that? You can't stop people from being born again. The gospel is proclaimed and God will save whom he'll save. And it's done. And there's nothing that can stop that. The Supreme Court cannot hinder the gospel. New England secularism can't hinder the gospel. Or New England nominalism. Or even that uncle or that friend or that, that child you have who just seems so hard-hearted and, and so recalcitrant and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. If God moves, not even that person's resistance can stop the gospel. And so we have all this confidence to keep moving forward because the, the gospel is spreading continually throughout the world as Jesus promised He said, this gospel must be preached to all nations as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. And so it is happening today. So what do we do with this ending in the book of Acts? I I think what we're supposed to do with it is to see that Jesus has been faithful, that there is an initial fulfillment of his promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, And then we're supposed to take this book and then say, now now what do I do with it? Because it's still moving forward. As the church down through the centuries has studied the book of Acts, and as individual Christians down through the centuries has studied the book of Acts, it's as if Luke continues to to speak to us and the Holy Spirit continues to speak through us through Acts. And as each generation of Christians and as each generation of churches finish reading this book, it's as if Luke is is handing it to us and saying, now what? what? What about you? What is your part to play? And so as we finish this 10-month study this morning, I pray that, that God would speak to our hearts and that the, the book would be open to us with its strange ending and we would feel and hear an invitation to join with God in the work of the gospel. What is it that God has done in your heart this past year through the book of Acts? Where is he calling you I know some of you have taken steps of faith. It's, that's been one of the fun things uh, as we've studied this book is people coming up to me just throughout the year, you know, anecdotal, like, hey, I, you know, I started a Bible study here or I, I invited a friend to read the Bible with me there. I was able to send this email that I've always wanted to send and the person didn't, you know, hate me and, you know, whatever. And, and so I've just been hearing little stories about people taking steps of faith, little steps of faith as God gives us opportunities What is it that God has given for you to do? What is your little piece of this great drama that's unfolding here in Acts that continues to unfold today? May God give us all wisdom and courage, marching orders, love and courage to go and preach this gospel this week, whether in Vacation Bible School, our neighborhoods, because it's this gospel that will reach all nations before the end. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the book of Acts. We want to thank you for this incredible biography of your powerful gospel moving through the world. And Lord, we just thank you that it didn't stop there, that the church has carried it on, and that all of us in this room who know Jesus are living proof. 
that the same gospel has gone forward to us today. And so, Lord, as the inheritors of this, this history, as the inheritors of this book, Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts. Oh, Lord, save us from being a complacent, consumeristic, passive church. Oh, God, let the light bulb shine in our hearts that we would see and, and get it that we are called to pick up the baton and carry it forward, that we are called to take the same gospel that was preached to us and share it with kids and coworkers and family and friends. Oh, Lord, help us not to be a consumeristic church, but God, help us to be a, a, a sending church and a going church and a disciple-making church and a, uh, an inviting church, Lord. Lord, use us and awaken us. I pray that for myself. Oh, Lord, save me from complacency and consumerism, I pray. And God, may we faithfully carry this on to the next generation so that there might be a church here 50 years from now. There might be a church here 75 years from now. And there might be more churches on the South Shore where another generation is reading the book of Acts and hearing the same call. It may continue, Lord, until you return. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.